the Biden administration issues a cybersecurity call to action, and why Okta is in hot water over a data breach. These stories and more coming up in the ISNG Security Report. Hello, I'm Matthew Schwartz. New U.S. intelligence suggesting that Russia may yet launch retaliatory cyber attacks on the West are a reminder to information security teams to stay alert. Numerous pundits had predicted that Russian President Vladimir Putin would order a cyber assault to accompany the initial invasion of Ukraine, with disruptive attacks possibly spilling over, if not directly targeting, NATO members. With the Russia-Ukraine war now being four weeks old, that doesn't seem to have occurred, however, except perhaps with the disruption of the Viasat satellite communications network on the day the invasion began. The U.S. has yet to attribute the Viasat satellite outage to any organization or government. But U.S. President Joe Biden on Monday did warn that evolving intelligence suggests that the Russian government is exploring options for potential cyber attacks. White House cyber advisor Ann Neuberger amplified those warnings in a Monday press conference. This afternoon, the president released a statement and fact sheet regarding cyber threats to the homeland, urging private sector partners to take immediate action to shore up their defenses against potential cyber attacks. We've previously warned about the potential for Russia to conduct cyber attacks against the United States, including as a, re as a response to the unprecedented economic costs that the U.S. and allies and partners impose in response to Russia's further invasion of Ukraine. Today, we are reiterating those warnings, and we're doing so based on evolving threat intelligence that the Russian government is exploring options for potential cyber attacks on critical infrastructure in the United States. To be clear, there is no certainty there will be a cyber incident on critical infrastructure. So why am I here? Because this is a call to action and a call to responsibility for all of us. To help businesses get their cybersecurity house in order, the White House has continued to make more resources and guidance available, not least via security bulletins and alerts being issued by the Cybersecurity Infrastructure and Security Agency, also known as CISA, as well as the National Security Agency and the FBI. The Biden administration has also called on all organizations to actively address and improve their business resiliency capabilities to help safeguard against any type of cyber attack. There's still much more we need to do to have the confidence that we've locked our digital doors, particularly for the critical services Americans rely on. The majority of our critical infrastructure, as you know, is owned and operated by the private sector. And those owners and operators have the ability and a responsibility to harden the systems and networks we all rely on. Notwithstanding these repeated warnings, we continue to see adversaries compromising systems that use known vulnerabilities for which there are patches. This is deeply troubling. Of course, Russia is not the only potential threat. As security experts have long emphasized, the same tactics that may be employed by a nation-state attack group to hack into or disrupt a bank, for example, are the same techniques and tactics that might be abused by a criminal syndicate or teenage hackers. Here's Neuberger. 
Bottom line, this is about us. The work we need to do to lock our digital doors and to put the country in the best defensive position. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. On the heels of Russia's February 24th invasion of Ukraine, one of the trends that's being closely monitored by regulators is the potential use of money laundering and illicit cryptocurrency or finance via digital assets, possibly in part to pay for the war or as a backup mechanism for funding sanctioned organizations and entities. Joining me to discuss now is Dan Gunderman, ISMG's News Desk staff writer. Dan, I know you've been carefully tracking what's coming out of U.S. Treasury about this. What are you hearing? Yeah, well, first off, uh, thanks for having me on, Matt. So for context, obviously, war in Ukraine has raged for a month now. Cyber offensives have slipped into the digital underground. Economic sanctions have hobbled Moscow. You've established that as well. So, And now we have Nellie Liang, who is the Undersecretary for Domestic Finance at the Treasury Department, warning that Treasury has detected a rise in the use of digital assets for illicit transactions since the 24th of February, when, of course, the invasion began. So she said, however, the volume is too insignificant, at least that they've tracked so far, to really aid Moscow in skirting U.S. designations against its banking system, its oligarchs, and other high-ranking officials, oil exports, etc., She told Reuters that it's not likely a path to substantial evasion on the sanction side, but it's fluid. Now, are we seeing some consensus at this stage on what Russia's capabilities might be? What do we think Russia can and can't do when it comes to skirting U.S. sanctions? Another great question, and I think something that the Undersecretary mentioned this week and other current and former Treasury officials have echoed in recent days and weeks, um, in that they've confirmed that the Russian crypto transaction that they've seen ensuing across the blockchain cannot sustain a world power. Officials have likened it to the hopes of flipping a switch from fiat to crypto almost overnight. But in reality, that's a move that takes years of preparation. And so the Russian government has also been pretty reticent to fully embrace these currencies. And you've seen a lot of headlines about that leading up to the war. Nonetheless, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who, as you probably know, is a longtime critic of lax cybersecurity and price volatility in crypto, argued last week that while Russia may not be able to evade all sanctions by moving into crypto, it's certainly a workable option for Putin's oligarchs to hide their billions. So she introduced related legislation last week as well, which would provide the Biden administration with authority to suspend transactions with ties to Russian crypto addresses. It would require taxpayers engaging with offshore transactions greater than $10,000 to file a specific FinCEN form as well. So they're not messing around with this. No. So what else is being done to hopefully blunt the use of cryptocurrency for sanctions evasion by Russia or somebody else? Well, uh, crypto, just like cybersecurity itself, is certainly front and center at the federal level right now. President Biden's recent executive order on cryptocurrencies uh, now attempts to align related U.S. policy with that of its allies, which is an effort, I think, really to unify Western governments around enforcement capabilities and losing that regulatory arbitrage that you've seen some of these actors employ. So the EO establishes a national policy across several different areas, some of them being illicit finance and also U.S. financial leadership. That's always been a testament to U.S. strength and power is its financial leadership. So 
The EO directs the interagency to develop recommendations, tasks the Fed with continuing its research around the U.S. digital dollar, requires the Treasury to produce a report on the future of money and payments. And so overall, the EO follows previous enforcement sanctions at the federal level, which includes Russian exchange sanctions. This was before the war from the Treasury Department. An analysis on stable coins from the president's working group on financial markets and record asset seizures conducted by the DOJ. So certainly a lot going on in the crypto sphere right now. Well, thanks very much for bringing us up to speed on everything that's been happening, Dan. No problem. Thanks for having me. A serious data breach involving authentication provider Okta is quickly becoming a lesson into how not to handle a data breach. The breach came to light this week when a hacking group called Lapsus posted screenshots of Okta's internal systems, to which it appeared to have gained access in January. Okta initially appeared to downplay any responsibility for the breach, emphasizing that it had involved a third-party contractor. But it turns out that the third-party contractor had access to multiple Okta systems. And by compromising one of the contractor's employees, the attackers this week claimed that they had gained the ability to access a super user portal with the ability to reset the password or multi-factor authentication credentials for up to 95% of Okta's customers. Belatedly, Okta admitted that the maximum potential impact of the breach did involve up to 2.5% of its customers. That's 366 organizations whose data could have been accessed by the Lapsus group. This isn't the first breach that ties to Lapsus. It's recently been on a hacking spree. Victims include LG, NVIDIA, and Samsung. And on Sunday, the group also leaked stolen data from Microsoft. Security researchers now report that the leader of Lapsus may be a 16-year-old living near Oxford, England. Regardless, Okta now says hundreds of customers might have been impacted by the breach, which traces to the contractor that provides customer service. It's called Sykes, and it's based in Costa Rica, but part of a larger organization called Sittel Group in Miami. Timing-wise, Okta failed to share full details pertaining to the breach until Wednesday. Okta says it detected the potential attack on the employee of its contractor, Sittel Group, on January 20th and alerted the company. That led the company to, the next day, launch an investigation into the potential breach, and it brought in a third-party digital forensics firm to run the investigation. Okta, however, says it didn't receive a report summarizing the results of that investigation until March 17th, or nearly two months later. Five days after that, on March 22nd, Lapsus posted the screenshots of Okta's systems. Later that day, Okta says it finally received the full report from Siddle Group. The next day, Okta published its own timeline of the attack. Okta's chief security officer, David Bradbury, says in a statement that, upon reflection, once we received the Siddle summary report, we should have moved more swiftly to understand its implications. Indeed, Okta continues to face heavy criticism for its failure to alert customers to the breach, or the suspected breach back in January, until nearly two months after it was detected. It also failed to get ahead of the breach once the attackers made it public earlier this week. Stay tuned for more information to no doubt come to light over Okta's breach. Meanwhile, Siddle Group also provides services for Cisco, Dell, PayPal, Splunk, 
and others. One question being voiced now by security researchers is whether Lapsus's attack against CITL may not have just compromised Okta data. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Catch you next time. Thank you.